we are in this series at the table, and so I wanted to connect kind of what we're doing this weekend with, with El Raparo with the message. And so uh, there's a story in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus uh, is, is he's telling this story, this kind of parable. And in this story, he talks about this great table, and he's inviting these people to this great banquet. And so basically there's this wealthy man in the community and so he wants to reach out and you know he's doing well for himself and so he wants to reach out to his family and his friends and all these people and he invites all of these people to this great feast, this great banquet and so he sends out the invites to everybody to kind of come to this feast, to share in this meal, to share in this food with him at this great table and he invites all of these people. Now because of the fact that he's able to put something on like this, he's probably very well to do in his community, he's probably very influential, he probably has some resources and so he's going to invite more than likely people that also have influence and resources to this thing. And so he invites them to this banquet. And as he sends out these invites, the invites start to come back. And, and all of a sudden he kind of notices this pattern that, that everybody's starting to decline, that they're, they're too busy. One guy just got a new ox and the ox is kind of stubborn. And we all know how oxes can be stubborn, right? And so, uh, so he's got this new thing, so he can't come. And then like this other guy's got this other excuse. And all of a sudden, all these people start saying, you know, well, we appreciate the invite, but like, you know, we can't come to this feast. We can't come to this because we're too busy. And so the guy that put on the feast, he looks at his servants. He said, all right, well, then don't, don't invite them anymore. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to go out into the streets and I want you to find the poor and the cripple, and the lame, the people that traditionally wouldn't be invited to something like this, and go and invite them. And so they go out, and they invite the poor, and the cripple, and the lame, and they show up to the feast. And he goes on to tell the story that he says that they invite everybody they know that's poor, and cripple, and lame, and again, the outcasts in their community, and they invite them all to sit at the table for this great feast, and there's still plenty of room, and so he goes out, he says, just invite everybody you can find into this. Now, this story, there's a lot of implications there that go deeper than just the feast, and there's a lot of meanings behind it. But, but I do want to hit on one aspect of this story that was intriguing to me was that when you think about it, so, so for a lot of us that have influence and resources and our lives are pretty good, um, basically, you got a lot going on. And when you got a lot going on and you got a lot of money and you got a lot of resources, um, you got a lot of stuff you can do. And so you're busy. And so what happens in this story is, is all of these people, they're, they're too busy for this feast. They got too much going on. They've got a lot of things pulling at their heart and their mind. And the end result of this is they end up missing out on the feast that they were supposed to be at. And I think that can happen to us sometimes if we're not careful, is that we get pulled in too many directions and we get pulled in so many ways that, that we're so busy and we got so much stuff going on that we might actually miss the feast that God's inviting us to. We might actually miss the work that he's actually calling us to. And you see, one of the things that, that I understand about us is, is most of us in this room, like we may not think of it this way, but we're, we're pretty lucky. The, the churchy word that we would use is the word blessed. Okay, and so we're blessed. And it's true. So like, even if you don't feel blessed, what you need to know is you were born in the United States of America. All right, so just by being born here when you were born, you are already blessed. So for example, uh, America makes up, the United States of America makes about 4% of the world's population. And yet we consume 30 to 40% of its resources. So 4% of the world consumes 30 to 40 percent and in some categories depending on what the category is that actually jumps up to 50 to 60 percent 
4% not only consumes most of the world's resources, a good percentage of it, we also maintain about 40% of the world's wealth. So just being born here, you and I were blessed. Now, in this collection of stories and letters that we call the Bible, whenever God blesses somebody, he never blesses somebody or blesses a nation or a group of people so that they can hoard it for themselves. The blessing he gives is always so that they can do something with this blessing to impact the people around them. All right, And so it carries on not only in the Old Testament stories, but also in the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, there's this letter that Paul writes to this guy named Timothy, and he's in kind of this influential kind of community where there's some people with some resources. And so he writes this letter, and in 1 Timothy 6.17, he says this. He says, teach those who are rich. Now, when I see that verse, I want to be like, yeah, tell those rich people, right? Tell those rich people what they should do with all of the resources that they have. Because I always assumed that he was talking about somebody else. Until I kind of looked into it a little bit more. For example, um, do you guys own a car? Yeah, most of you do because they're parked out here, right? Did you know only about 18% of people in the world own a car? Which means that 82% of the people that are alive today and throughout human history would look at you and say, well, you got it pretty good. How about this? Do you own more than one car? Because we do. We own two. Most of us do, right? If you own two cars, that percentage drops down to a little bit between 6 and 8%, which means 94%, 92% of the world would be like, you're pretty rich. How about this? Most of us in this room, not all of us, but a lot of us, we have a house for our cars, don't we? We call it a garage, right? And so most people would see you driving in your car, and they would think that you are rich. How about this? Could you not do laundry for a week and still have clothes to wear? Then most of the world would consider you rich. Do you own more than one pair of shoes? Yeah, because a lot of people would consider you rich. I own five pairs of the exact same pair of shoes just in different colors. All right, that's a true story. All right. How about this? Do you have access to clean drinking water? Because somewhere around a billion people in the world don't have access to clean water. And what's crazy is for us, like when we say access to clean water, like we think, okay, well, we got a sink. Or like if you got thirsty right now, you go down to the lobby and go to the water fountain. Or we have bottled water like in my office for like volunteers and stuff like that. Well, access to clean drinking water is technically defined in this category by access within a quarter to a half a mile. So imagine next time you're sitting around watching the football game and, and you need a drink, you had to walk a quarter mile to get it. Hundreds of millions of people would watch us walk up to our sink. And let's be honest, none of us even use sinks, do we? Like you got the fridge with the little thing or you open it up and you get bottled water. So like even having clean water is not like, that's, that's too much. You know, we, we got to have this, you know, bougie water that comes out of our fridge, right? How about this? Have you eaten today? Because there's somewhere around 800 million people that will go to bed hungry. Now, when I say hungry, I don't mean like they're a little bit hungry. Like, so like I don't eat on Sunday mornings before I preach because I'm always afraid I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. And so um, it's just a true story, trick of the trade. So um, by the time one o'clock rolls around, like I'm pretty hungry. But like, here's the thing is like I ate last night, so I'm not like going to starve. When I say 800 million people, we're talking starving. And about 300 million of those 800 million people that will go to bed starving tonight, about 300 million of them are kids. 
how much money do you have on you right now? And don't even look in your wallet or get out your Apple iPhone and say an Apple Pay. I'm talking about like in your pockets right now. Like how much change do you have in your purse or in your thing? Or how much how much money do you have like in your car, like in your console? Like if you're like me, you, you know, you take your change they give you and you put it in your console. Or how much money you think you have in, in your seat cushions, right? I, I would estimate right now that in my little console, I probably between quarters, nickels, and dimes. Because um, who has time for pennies? Um, I probably have around $5 just sitting there. There's around a billion people in the world that live on less than one U.S. dollar a day. And many of us in this room, we have that amount of change just sitting in our car or in our couch cushions. Take it up to $5 a day, about 3.5 billion people on the planet live on less than $5 a day. It's almost half the planet. How about this one? There are a little bit over 2 billion kids on the planet, 2 billion children on the planet. And in our culture, we, we love our children. We will do anything for our children. Right? I think that's kind of like our thing. So there's about 2 billion children on the planet right now, and about 1 billion, almost half, live in poverty. Half of the children in the world today live in poverty. So we hate silence. <clears throat> and it took about 10 seconds uh, of silence, and it's very uncomfortable for all of us because we're like, what's happening right now? Um, but in that 10 seconds, it's estimated that every 10 seconds in the world, a child dies from hunger-related causes, which means I've been talking a little bit over 10 minutes, which means 60 kids in the world have died from starvation. And in the 20 seconds that it took me to explain that to you, Another child is born from a waterborne disease. By the way, preventable waterborne diseases. Because every 20 seconds, it's estimated a kid in the world dies from waterborne diseases that are preventable. And I don't know what your background is or your religious beliefs, but that's just not okay. Now, this is crazy. Experts predict a couple years ago in 2018, they did this big thing, and they said, so let's figure out what it would cost to fix the world's problems as far as water, basic health, and nutrition. And what they said is if we took every year annually about $20 billion, we could fix the world's problems when it comes to water, basic nutrition, and health. So $20 billion sounds like a lot of money, right? I get it, okay? And we're not asking you to give the $20 billion. We're saying collectively if we took $20 billion, which again, sounds like a lot of money, until you find out that's how much average, on average Americans spend in one year just on ice cream. Or how about this one? We spend $897 billion in the United States every year on entertainment and recreation. And that's just the legal stuff that they track, right? We spend $67 billion. Remember, only $20 billion to fix the world's problems as far as, as healthcare, food, and water. $67 billion annually we spend just in America on household pet accessories. This is not food or taking to the vet. This is that stupid sweater you put on your dog, okay? This is that special leash. This is the ball catcher. This is that type of stuff. $67 billion we spend on pet accessories. Annually, Americans spend $100 billion just buying lottery tickets. And how many people actually win that thing anyway? We spend $43 billion on photography. 
we spend $26 billion. This is the one that got me. We spend $26 billion. Everybody in this room has access to clean drinking water. In your home, here, somewhere. We spend $26 billion a year on bottled water just in America, which almost everybody in the United States of America has access to clean drinking water. And then we spend around $20 billion on elective cosmetic surgery. Elective, not needed, not required, elective cosmetic surgery. Because you got to look good to live. These people just want to live. Now, to really prove it to you and to make you feel really bad about yourself, because it does for me, and I'm not trying to guilt you, I just need you to know the, the real situation of what's going on. So there's this app, and if you want to download it later, you can. Uh, we've done this before. It's called the Global Rich List, and it's an up-to-date kind of software they've created where you can go in on this app, and you can type in how much you make annually as a family or as an individual, and then it will rank you based on your wealthness in the world. So I kind of looked into this. So the average household income in the city of Shepherdsville and kind of in this area is about $45,000. Now, I realize that some of you make less than that and some of you make more than that. But the average household income is around $45,000. So if you took the average household income in kind of the Shepherdsville, Hillview area, which is most of us, I know there's some of us from different areas, but for most of us, um, you would be in the top 1% of wage earners in the world, which means 99% of the world even making what you make here would think you are rich. Congratulations. <laughs> You're rich. Now, the problem is you have this sense that you don't feel rich. And the reason you don't feel rich is because you see what everybody else around you has, because you live in one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest nation to ever exist. So the problem is, is that we look around and all we see is what we don't have. In fact, it's estimated that every day we are exposed to about 500 ads, whether that's social media, television, radio, or you just see in billboards, about 500 images a day come across our eyes telling you what you don't have. And so, of course, your life doesn't look as good as everybody else's. Now, the problem is with this is it's dangerous when you start to think that your world is the world because it's not. And so we're bombarded with all the latest models and all the newest things. And after a while of getting exposed to this, all of a sudden our life starts to feel a little bit outdated. And the problem with this is the understanding that when you go to many parts of the world, in fact, a majority of the world, what you have to realize is that we flip through catalogs and magazines to see what kind of lifestyle we could have. They would flip through magazines and look at what we have and say, we are the picture. That's what they want. The lifestyle that's not good enough for us is the catalog. It is the thing that they aspire to have. And so Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world, which is you and me, it should come up, by the way, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And again, the key word there is who gives us all we need. Most of us in this room, we have more than what we need, don't we? We have what we want, but it gives us what we need. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Again, anytime God blesses somebody, it's never for the person he's blessing alone. It's so that they can actually bless other people. They can continue this blessing. By doing this, they will be storing up treasures of good foundation for the future so they may experience life that is truly life. 
this, this language that's used over and over in some other places, it's the idea that everything that we have is a gift. You came into this world with nothing, and you will leave with nothing. And everything in between is not only temporary, but it's also a gift. The food that we get to eat is a gift. The clothes that we wear is a gift. The roof over our heads is a gift. The breath that all of us just took, it's a gift. Now, the pushback in places like where we come from is is this. No, you don't understand. I've worked for what I have. It's mine. I've worked really, really hard. And that's true. The problem is this, and I'm telling you, and if you don't believe me, just kind of look back over your life. Um, Your stuff, your resources, your education, it will turn on you if you don't do something with it. And here's how I know this. It's simple. Ready? Is it ever enough? Because I know everybody in this room, you bought something one time, and you said, if I could only have that, and then something else happened, and something else came out, and there was a bigger house, and a new neighborhood, a nicer car, and a smarter phone, and that one thing you said, well, that will be enough, it was not enough, was it? I mean, are we ever truly satisfied? So one of the things that's happened to me over the past 20 years is I've had the opportunity to visit different parts of the world, and and what's amazing when you get outside of here, and and I think that everybody should at some point get outside of here, because it's an echo chamber. And you should get outside of here, and you can go see other parts of the world, but what I would recommend is going and seeing a developing country. And see, what happens when you go to developing countries um, is you get reminded again that your world is not the world. There's lots of people that live very differently than us. And what makes these trips so amazing to many people that get to go is you meet people, and these people that you meet, um, they're poor. They are. I mean, like, the people that you'll meet in Aeroparo, um, like, you walk into their, their homes. We call them homes because that's where they live. And, and it's a couple of two-by-fours with some metal tin and some plastic sheeting kind of wrapped around it. And you walk into these homes that are dirt floors um, with some rocks that they've kind of gathered together in order to have a seating place and a fireplace and that type of thing. And, and you walk into these places, and, and you feel bad be, because you, you realize that this is where they live. And then you think about your house. And, and what happens is you feel bad for them because they're so poor, but after a few minutes of talking to them, you start to realize that maybe you're the one that's actually poor. Because we, we think that if we have all this stuff, then we'll be happy and filled with joy, and they're happy and filled with joy, and they don't have any of the stuff that we think we have to have. You kind of get uncomfortable because there's this sense in which, you know, like you start to realize that, that, that maybe actually I'm receiving more from them than they're receiving from me. And so you go to these places and you go with this attitude of we're down there to do good work from them, but a lot of times you end up getting more out of the experience for yourself than you could ever do for them. And so sometimes we have to get outside of ourselves and, and realize that, that it's not our stuff or our resources that make life truly worth living. And that's what Paul's reminding us of. There's this fascinating teaching in the book of Deuteronomy. It's very early on in the story of God's people. And it's right after they've kind of been rescued out of the, the Egypt and, and they're on their way to this promised land. And, and, and so in this teaching, it says this. It says in Deuteronomy 24, it says, When you are harvesting your crops... And you forget to bring in the bundle of grain from your field. Don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. 
Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. And when you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go back over the bows twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. And when you gather your grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. So essentially the instruction is, is so you're the farmer, you're, you're the vineyard owner, you're, you're doing this. And so you've worked really hard to get this, to have your olive bows and to have your vineyard and all this stuff. So you're doing all this work. And so you're spending all this time pruning and watering and checking the soil and, and making sure everything's right so that you can have a harvest. And the teaching is that you kind of walk through and you make your pass and you get what you can, but, but you, you might want to leave some behind. And if you pass by something and you realize you didn't get all the grapes or the olives, don't go back and get them, but leave them so that someone else can benefit from them. And so we see that, and so the, essentially the teaching is basically leave a corner of whatever is yours for somebody else. And, and the teaching, the, 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 it's like, okay, well, why would I do that? Because they, I'm the one that's put all the work in. I'm the one that's done all of the effort. And then, and then God reminds them, and it's this kind of subtle verse at the end of this teaching, that with everything you've been blessed with, just realize it's not all for you. You should leave some behind for somebody else. And he says this in verse 22. He says, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. See, the danger is you'll forget. You'll forget how blessed you actually are. The danger is you'll forget what it was like not to have what you have now. You'll forget what it was like for some of us in this room that can relate to this. Like, like I remember growing up in, in a situation where like if we got to go to rallies after church, like that was like the greatest Sunday ever. My kids are like, what kind of steak are we having today, you know? <laughs> See, the danger is you'll forget. See, these people, they once didn't have all this stuff, but now they did. And, and, and so they're about to be blessed and, and they won't be poor anymore. They're going to be successful. And, and the danger is that if you just make it all about you and you forget to leave a corner, you forget to leave a little bit behind for somebody else, the danger is that you'll forget where you came from. The, the danger is that, that for some of us, um, what will happen as we start to get successful and start to have more stuff, we'll forget what it was like to wish that somebody else would have done for us what we have the opportunity to do for somebody else. See, some of us, you know what that's like. You just wish somebody would have helped. And now you're in a position where you could help, but you don't. So the Bible says, you know, don't forget. And our response is, well, it's not fair. It's my vineyard. It's my olive grove. It's my field. Why, why should I let these people come onto my property and take what I've worked so hard to produce? That's not fair. Let me tell you something. You don't want what's fair. If God tomorrow morning decided to make all things fair for everybody in the world and the world's wealth and resources were going to be evenly distributed to make it fair for everybody that lives on this planet right now, every single one of us in this room would go pretty far back. See, one of the things is being born when and where you were born wasn't fair. You had nothing to do with it. I don't know if you know that or not, right? You were just born here. They were born there, we're born here. Earlier in the text, Moses reminds the people, says in Deuteronomy, you may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 
James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And then Paul reminds us that you were bought with a price and it wasn't a fair price. And so you're not your own and neither is your stuff. Richard Stearns once said, when we empower others, when we extend grace to others and their oppression and their struggling, whatever that may look like, we are really just showing and reliving the grace that God has extended to us. So maybe when Jesus talks about taking water to the thirsty and food to the poor and the hungry, what he's trying to convince us of is it's not just about saving others, it's also about saving yourself from the indifference, from the inertia of an action for taking advantage of all that we've been given. One final punch to the gut, and I promise I'm done. And this came from Jesus, so if you get a problem, email him. So he says this in Matthew 25. He says, when he finally arises, blazing in the beauty of all of his angels with him. So he's, he's painting this kind of apocalyptic scene of what kind of it's going to look like. Now, this is a parable. This is a story, but he's painting this picture of what it might be at the end of time. And he says, the son of man will take his place on his glorious throne. So he's speaking about himself. Then all of the nations will be arranged before him and will be sorted out the people, much as the shepherd sorts out the sheep and the goats, putting the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, enter you who are blessed by my father, take what's coming to you in the kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit me. I was in prison and you came to me. So essentially he says, all of the people that are the sheep that get to enter the kingdom, the reason they get to do it is because they did for somebody else what they could do. Then those sheep are going to say to their master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty? Because here's the reality. If Jesus walked in right now and he was hungry and is thirsty, we'd all be like, what can we give you? And yet we walk past people every day and we just turn the other way. He says, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did this for one of those who were overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. And then he looks at the goats and he says, I was hungry and I was thirsty and I was all of this and you didn't do it. And, and they say, well, when did we see you? And here's what he says. And he will answer them. I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. We may not have corners of grain or a vineyard, but we all have something to give. Can I tell you something personally as I wrap up, and I've talked longer than I was supposed to, but here's what I want to say. Um, there's a lot of things in life that I've regretted buying. Anybody else? There are things that I'm still paying for that I don't even use anymore, right? You all got that exercise bike that's now a coat rack? Yeah, you have that? I do. I've given it to like five different people and it keeps coming back to my house. And, and so here's the thing. Um, here's what you have to know about everything that you own. Everything that you own that's so important is the stuff of future yard sales and landfills. Eventually, we're all going to die and your kids are going to go into your house and they're going to have this big auction and try to get rid of all your stuff that they don't want. And eventually, they're going to be like, just somebody come take it. I have regretted being greedy and making impulse decisions and impulse buys but I've never regretted doing something to help someone I knew was in need. I regret a lot of my spending, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I've never missed the $40 a month that goes to Carmen every month. Not once. So I gave a lot of stats, and the reality is that's just the tip of the iceberg. 
All right? There's a lot more stats that I could do, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody with these daunting stats. That's just the reality of the world. But one of my favorite quotes is this. See, when I talk about children starving in the world, and I talk about all of this disproportion of the world's resources, um, the problem is we sit there and we go, well, I can't fix it. And the reality is you can't fix it. I can't fix the world's water problem. I can't fix the world's nutrition problem. I can't fix getting medicine to every kid in the world that needs it. But there's this great quote. You do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And enough people start doing for one what they wish they could do for everyone, then maybe we could actually make a difference. And so we're starting with one community in El Raparo called, or with Hope Chest in El Raparo, Guatemala. And so you have the opportunity to do that. And so all you do is you stop out in the lobby, we'll walk you through the process, and for $40 a month, you can make the difference in the life of a child and in their family and in that community. And here's the thing. I realize for some of you that's not for you, and I don't want to guilt you, and you're not, I'm not going to make eye contact with you as you walk out the door, I promise, all right? Here's what I'm saying. If you can't do this, that's fine, but find somewhere you can leave a corner. Find somewhere that you can do some good. And at the very least, at the very least, would you please just start to realize how blessed you really are? Because there's a man that's invited us to a great feast. And sometimes we get too busy with all the stuff we have and we miss out on what God is actually doing in this world. Let's pray.